0: Hey, my name is Brian, and I get to be here this weekend with you guys, and it means a ton uh, for me because when I was 17, not at this camp for Hume, but up at the lake, is when I made my my all-in decision for Jesus, Um, and I'm praying the same thing for you. So here's what my prayer is usually before I come to a camp or wherever I'm speaking is, God, just do whatever you can do, do whatever you want to do and need to do to draw everyone at least one step closer into intimacy with you, whatever that looks like. So if you're here and maybe you got tricked, like, hey, we're, a bunch of high scores are getting away for the weekend. You're like, what? And that's all I told you? And you're like, wait, it's about Jesus? It is about Jesus. So we're glad that you're here. And maybe some of you guys don't believe in God or don't like God or you feel like God failed you. And so therefore, you've kind of pushed away from God. And there's others of you where you've gone to church your whole life, and you've kind of done the things you're supposed to do, but you're not quite sure what, where you're at with him. And maybe some of you, you just love him like crazy. And everyone in between, may we, all, may we all move one step closer into intimacy with Jesus. That's the prayer. So if you don't mind, can we pray as we jump into this, as we jump into the story of Jonah for the weekend? Um, let's pray, shall we? Let's pray. <clears throat> Father, we give you thanks for, uh, for getting us here. We give you thanks for another night to be together. Um, Holy Spirit, I pray that you would work like never before. I pray that you would convict and encourage whatever is necessary to make us look more and more like Jesus. Father, I pray that you would take a feeble attempt on my part of making much of you and god i pray you would reveal who you are that leaves us speechless especially maybe for some that have gotten used to you Father, i pray that you would reveal just how majestic and glorious and holy you truly are and so god we come to you and we thank you that you desire for us to know you better do a great work we pray this in jesus name and everyone who agree says amen so if you have your bibles we're in jonah chapter one Uh, Starting in verse one, it says this. this, Now the word of the Lord came to Jonah the son of Amittai, saying, "Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it, for their evil has come up before me." Now, friends, this is a big deal for Jonah. The Ninevites were brutal to the Israelite people. I mean, brutal. Guys, uh, there's there's historical records where uh, when the Ninevites would defeat an army, they would take some of the same of the soldiers and they would They would dig a hole that was deep enough where the person could be all the way down up to their neck, and then they would put all the dirt in among them so they couldn't move. And then they would take out their tongue and drive a spike through the tongue into the dirt and leave them there to die. This is what Nineveh was known for. I read this account of a king. This is what he said. Um, How he captured a leader and in his own words, he described what it is he did He said I pierced his chin with my keen hand dagger through his jaw I passed a rope put a dog chain upon him and made him occupy a kennel So can you imagine a, a dagger going through his chin and then taking a rope through his chin Attaching a chain to it and then treating him like a dog This is what Nineveh was known for And so when God looks at Jonah and says, I want you to go to Nineveh, and I want you to preach this message of repentance. And Jonah would look at God and say, are you kidding? Do you know what they've done to us? Another king wrote this down in a description of how it is that he treated people. He said, a pyramid of heads I reared in front of his city. Their youths and their maidens I burnt up in the flames. Guys, these guys are unbelievably evil and brutal. And so what's Jonah's response in all of this? God says, I want you to go. I want you to go to Nineveh. I know it's a great city. I want you to call against it because the evil that they've done has come before me. So God knows it. And then notice Jonah's response. But Jonah rose to flee to Tarshish. He said, well, how far away is it? Guys, that was the furthest known geographical location of that day in the opposite direction. God says, I want you to go here. And, and Jonah's like, absolutely not. And takes out the completely wrong way. It was thought by some that it would be a three year journey to get from where he was to Tarshish. Guys, have you ever felt like God called you to do something and you did the opposite? You said, I go, nah, not really. Isn't it amazing we can look at other people and say, look how evil they are, and then forget that maybe we are just as bad? Guys, it's easy to look at the Ninevites and go, yeah, they need to repent. Look how evil they are. And yet, for some reason, uh, just by a show of hands, how many have been brought up in the church, gone to church pretty much your whole life? Oh, gosh, a lot. Like you took communion in the womb. You know what I'm saying? It's like, ah, oh, I like that. Through the umbilical cord, you're kicking mom in the bladder. Give me some more. You like, you like that stuff, right? So you've heard all the stories. I mentioned Jonah, you're like, ah, oh, the, the fish. You know the story of Jonah. If I mention anything that Jesus has done, you already know the story. Do you have a wana at your church? Anybody, a wana Where you memorize the whole Bible by the time you're 18, you know what I'm talking about? You know every verse because you just memorize and I love the fact you're memorizing scripture. But my question to you, for those who you brought up in the church, do you love Jesus though? Because it is so easy to jump into this idea. I've always gone to church and therefore I'm a Christian. Friends, saying that, it's like me saying, hey, I went into into McDonald's and I became a Big Mac. It's not about going to a place that turns you into something. It's have you surrendered your life to Christ? And it's not that you accept Jesus into your heart. It's not that you accept Jesus into your life. It's this, I surrendered my life and I said, I want to follow Christ because he's worth it and receive his gift of salvation. But it comes with understanding. You and I were sinners outside of Jesus. See, I have nothing to offer God. And yet I've never done what was, what was listed, what these Ninevites did. I've never done anything like that. And yet before God, I was guilty. And when I was 17, a summer camp before my senior year of high school, I don't even remember what the person was preaching about. I just knew that I needed to give Jesus everything. And I stood and I surrendered my life to Christ because I knew I was a sinner in need of a Savior. And it is so easy for us to start saying, well, who's worse than the other person, isn't it? It's kind of like a to say, um, and I've done this before, and so I don't know I'm going to ask you to do it. but it's like, hey, name one of the worst people you can think of in history, and name one of the most, seems like most righteous people in history. So you get to this side, people are like, uh, Mother Teresa, they'll say that, and then over here, they usually say Hitler, and I, and I, I get that, and then, but I remember some, I don't even know if you know this person's name. I remember, hey, tell me one of the worst people ever, and someone screams out, Charlie Sheen. <laughs> <laughs> and I said there and I'm like, okay, like, think about it. A guy that likes to party compared to Hitler, Charlie Sheen's a little worse. He's like, Charlie Sheen. I was like, this, you're not his fan club, I could tell. So I've never really asked anybody to answer that question because I'm a little terrified what's going to come out of people's mouths. So here's what we do. We say, well, I'm not as bad as Hitler. I mean, I ain't no Mother Teresa, but at least I'm a little better than Hitler, as if Hitler's the standard. We think, so long as I'm a little better than Hitler, I'm okay, and I'm not this. Guys, you know what the standard is? God. God's the standard, and yet I wonder, have we kind of dumbed him down a little bit? He's not that impressive. He's okay. And so we look at what what Jonah did. It's like, it's not that big of a deal. He just didn't want to go. I can understand it. And I can understand it too, except for the fact that God said go. And he goes the complete opposite direction. Guys, it would have been one thing if Jonah just sat still and didn't go anywhere. But what does he do? He gets up and goes the opposite direction, as far away as from what God said to do, as far away as possible, because he wanted nothing to do with what? Now watch, you'll see what he wanted nothing to do with. But Jonah rose to flee from the presence of the Lord. He was fleeing, he was running from God. It wasn't just Nineveh. He was running from God. In fact, you'll see that phrase repeated. He went down to Joppa, found a ship going to Tarshish, so he paid the fare, went down into it to go with them to Tarshish, away from the presence of the Lord. Okay, you know who he was trying to get rid You know who he was trying to get away from God i by a show of hands, and this is going to take a little bit. Be honest. Be vulnerable. Has something ever happened in your life where it just felt like God missed it, like you failed? It was hard. You gone through something that's really difficult. Yeah, put them up. Way up. Like charismatic, not Baptist. Like way up. Yeah, got it? Yeah, now look around real quick. Look around. Keep your hands up. Why do I have you look around? Because sometimes when we go through those things, we don't tell anybody. We think we're the only ones and yet for some of you if you've gone through that maybe for some of you you it's caused you to not look toward god but to look away not just look away but to walk away and what i want to do is i want to try to convey to you things about god that he actually wants you this wasn't god just saying do it because i said so he loved jonah he loved the ninevites god loves you he loves me guys when things don't turn out the way that we thought that they would our faith is tested, and it's hard, isn't it? I've used this often. Um, I have two boys. i got a 17-year-old who's graduating this year, heading off to college next year. i got a 15-year-old, and I'm married to a hot woman who loves Jesus. And so it's just awesome. I mean, someone who loves Jesus is great, and she's good to look at. Yeah, hello, hello. And you're like, there's no way. Have you seen yourself? I know. I know, but it's proof I've got one. It's like woohoo, God's grace. And so uh, we got married almost 24 years ago uh, when Dylan was about a, m- a month old. Um, she had to go back to the doctor because before uh, before he was around, she had this the lump on her on her throat. So she went to a doctor, to get it checked, and had a biopsy. And he said, "There's nothing in it. Just once you have a kid, and when you have the kid, we'll, then we'll take it out after that." So that was the plan. Dylan came along. And a month after that, uh, I'm sitting in my office, and she was going to go to the, to the doctor's, uh, doctor's appointment. And so I'm sitting there at my, d- I'm sitting at my desk, I'm standing up to grab something, and the phone rings. And so I pick it up, and the first thing my wife says is, are you sitting down? And I wasn't. And then I did. And then she said this, I have cancer. And I was angry. You know I was angry at first? doctor i'm like why couldn't you call me like why didn't you say why did i need you both to come in instead of letting my wife with my two-year-old and my one-month-old sit there and get the news and have to be brave in front of our oldest because so i was angry and i said well I'm, i'll come home and so i hung up the phone packed up my stuff and i get to where my my assistant's at and she says, little old grandma i'm in the church office little grandma's my assistant her name was marguerite and she's awesome I mean, everyone loves grandma, right? So as I was getting past her, I put my glasses on so that she couldn't look into my soul. <laughs> I still go walking by. She stops. She goes, what's the matter? I don't know. What Could you, could you smell it? Like, what's, what is this? I thought I hid it pretty well. I said, no, no I just got to go. She goes, you're lying. I'm like, how dare you? I'm a pastor. Even better than I'm a youth pastor. I'm the right pastor. And she goes, you're lying. What's going on? And I told her. She goes, let's get everybody to pray right now. I mean, she picked up the phone to intercom the whole office, and I said, "Marguerite, I know what you're trying to do, and I love you for it, but I need to do this. Hold off for like, I don't know, 20 seconds. I got to get home." She goes, "You're right. You need to get home. I'll give you 20 seconds. You better run." I start running down the steps, go down in my car. I take off and I drove as fast as I could to the next parking lot, and I screamed out to God. And it wasn't a prayer of respect. I didn't consider it pure joy like the Bible says that I'm supposed to. I think we've taken that verse and taken a little bit out of context what he actually meant. I was angry. Friends, I started to pray something like this. God, seriously, really? My whole life is based upon you, and this is what you give me? This is what you give us? And There was this passage in the book of Job that came to my mind because I'd read it before that. And it said something like this, will you condemn me so that you can be put into the right? Will you make me look bad so you feel better about you? I was so convicted. And so I drove home, the speed (laughs) limit-ish. I'm calling everyone on the way, and it's during the days, back in the day, you could actually use your phone. By holding it and I'm taking off going as fast as I can. I call my mentor, I call my parents. I'm just calling people to pray. And now I know the church staff's praying and I'm just rushing home as fast as I can get there. And I don't know why I was going fast. What was I gonna do? Fix it? What was gonna run in there? Don't worry, I'm a pastor. I will take care of it. Just lay down on the table, give me a butter knife, and I'll take that sucker out. In my mind I was gonna fix it, but I couldn't do a thing. So I remember walking through the garage. And this little door that led into our tiny little kitchen, which was tiny—I mean, it's like as big as this little, stop, this little top part. And I saw my wife; she's at the kitchen uh, sink, and she's washing dishes. And my two-year-old seriously is right here when I open the doors. He's eating hot dog, because that's awesome. And then my one-month-old's over on the floor—not well, not on the floor, like in the carrier on the floor. We don't just throw our kids on the floor in the kitchen. So in the carrier on the floor. And friends, here's what I thought in my head. I didn't say it out loud. God, I don't know how to be a single dad. I wasn't full of faith. I didn't know God was going to come through. I didn't know anything. I just remember thinking that. I didn't say it out loud like I said. I just thought, God, I don't know how to be a single dad. And I just hugged her. And then we went through the process she had to have what's called radioactive iodine, which is one pill that's radioactive. Seriously, I took her to the hospital. I remember, I remember what it felt like. Uh, her parents came down to watch the boys while I take her to the hospital. She had to be in the hospital by herself in a room. No one else could be in there for a week. So I remember backing out of the, of the uh, driveway. She wouldn't see her boys for a week. Her, uh, Dylan was now three months old at the time. She wasn't going to get to nurse him ever again. And so she's being all strong and waving, and Tyler's just waving, has no clue what's going on. He's all smiley, and I've got my sunglasses on, and as I pull away, she just keeps waving, and then we get to the place where she can't see them, and they, he can't see her, and she just starts beating her chest. <laughs> it hurts so bad. She just starts bawling, and I start crying, and in my mind, I'm going, God, seriously, this is your daughter, and this is what you let happen to her? you ever prayed like that friends if you haven't i want to invite you to because it comes from the psalms you're like i would never i'm very polite when i pray but you might be a liar when you pray if all that you'd pray is polite god actually invites us when you have david a man after god's own heart in psalm 13 he says how long O lord will you forget me forever it's one thing to say how long will you forget me but you throw forever in on that you're throwing some sass to the creator you're going to forget about me forever? And so I remember walking in that room, and they brought this one pill in this huge chest. It was huge for one pill because it's radioactive. And they looked at me and said, you might want to hug her so you can leave. And so I hugged her, and they opened it. And they took it out, and she took it, and then we walked out. And the room was about this long from so this if I wanted to visit I visit her once because I can't handle anymore I'd have to There was a gauge and I'd write the number on a piece of paper then I'd walk in and I would hold it I could only be in there for five minutes and I couldn't go past the line this is the line and she's on the opposite side I hated it I hated it then when I left five minutes I had to walk out make sure that that still said zero and I'd write on the paper and I'd go home I never went back All i did was call her the rest of the time i talked to her for hours guys in all of that and two surgeries and and i'm thankful that she's good now but i hated it but i wouldn't trade it what god taught me through all of that i would have never learned if he didn't allow it to come and whether he allowed it or orchestrated i have no clue and i don't care but what he taught me was so important But when it started, I was so angry with him. And I would say, here's my resume, God. Look at all the things that I've done for you. And isn't it amazing we're introduced to Jonah as as the son of Amittai. He's this prophet because God is speaking to him. I want you to go do this. And he goes the completely opposite direction because of how he's been hurt. But he's running from God. And I wonder if there's some of you that are just like that. The Ninevites were evil, and Jonah was just as rebellious. They both needed to repent. Goes to verse 4, but the Lord hurled a great wind upon the sea, and there was a mighty tempest on the sea, so that the the ship threatened to break up. Then the mariners were afraid, and each cried out to his God, and they hurled the cargo that was in the ship into the sea to uh, to lighten it for them. But Jonah had gone down into the inner part of the ship, and had laid... I'm sorry, had, had lain down and was fast asleep. So the captain came and said to him, what do you mean, you sleeper? Arise, call out to your God. Perhaps the God uh, will give a thought to us that we may not perish. Everyone's freaking out. Guys, have you ever been on an airplane where turbulence hit pretty hard? And do you, okay, I've had it happen. Not, not, some of you guys are like, you've hit some really hard stuff. But it's the kind of, you're just kind of going along and it, and it hits enough and you go, Whoa. The first person I look at is the flight attendant. If I'm in the front and I see he or she, they're just sitting there reading, they don't move. They're like, we're fine. If all of a sudden they go, we're going to die, then I'm pretty much going to freak out of that moment. But if they're calm, I'm calm. Guys, these are guys that have been in the sea. This is their job. And they're freaking out where they're throwing everything overboard. They start calling out to their gods and Jonah goes down and just starts taking a nap. It's because of him that all this is happening. And they come to it, verse seven, they said to one another, come let us cast lots that we may know on whose account this evil has come upon us. So they cast lots and, and the lot fell on Jonah. And then they said to him, tell us on whose account this evil has come upon you. What is your occupation? Where do you come from? What is your country? And of, and of what people are you? And he said, I am a Hebrew and I fear the Lord, the God of heaven who made the sea and the dry land. Notice how he describes himself. I'm a Hebrew, I'm, a, I'm one of God's people. And friends, we can do the same thing. Just like I said earlier on, I've always been a Christian. I've gone to church my whole life. What does that mean? You still need to come to a place where you've surrendered your life to Christ. Jonah, prophet, a Hebrew, fears the Lord, and yet is in complete rebellion against God. Friends, all of us have sinned. All of us have messed up, and yet God comes for us. Verse 10, then the men were exceedingly afraid and said to him, what is this that you have done? For the men knew that he was fleeing, here it is, from the presence of the Lord. My question for some of you, are you running from God and why? For the next part, which God are you running from? And I go, there's only one, it's true. But have we gotten used to him? In Isaiah chapter 6, Isaiah has this vision where he sees the Lord. In verse 1, he says, in the year that king Uzziah died, I saw the Lord sitting upon a throne. High and, high and exalted, the train of his robe filled the temple with glory. And then there's these, there's these angels that are on fire, that are standing above him. Guys, if something's on fire and they like it, that should terrify us. The seraphim, that's the, the fiery beings. And they're crying out, holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. Guys, the whole earth is full of his glory. Friends, have you gotten used to God? It's so easy for us to do this. Guys, right now, do you realize that you're on a planet that is spinning 1,000 miles an hour? Like right now, we are on, a, we are on the earth, and we're spinning at 1,000 miles an hour. And while we're going 1,000 miles an hour, we're going around the sun at 66,000 miles an hour. And while those two things are happening... We're spinning 1,000 miles an hour, going around the sun at 66,000 miles an hour. The sun and the nine planets, yes, Pluto is still a planet to me. I don't know why they keep taking that boy out. Let Pluto stay. They're like, oh, he's too small. Shut up. He's bigger than you. So keep, the, <laughs> keep Pluto in. So you got the sun and the nine planets. Now, if you have a test, don't sit there and go, hey, the pastor said it's a planet, so it must be of God. And that doesn't mean anything. I'm kind of stupid. But the sun and the nine planets were going around the nucleus or the middle of the Milky Way galaxy. Get it? 540,000 miles an hour. Right now, all that's happening. What makes you think that you're in charge of anything? We just hope we don't crash. And God is the one who holds all things together. This is what's known as the cosmological argument. You know what that is? Cosmological argument is this, that all time, matter, and space had a beginning. That there is a moment in time when time, matter, and space all began. But before that, there was nothing except God. Because time, matter, and space cannot be created from nothing. So there had to be someone who created those things. And he spoke it into existence. And he said, let there be light. And in that moment, light came out from the mouth of God at 186,000 miles per second. Guys, that's the speed of light. 186,000 miles per second. Who wishes that they could have just been there to watch that? I do, except then I think, would it terrify me? Because I don't think it came out of quiet. 186,000 miles, let there be light. Gosh. Because I think it would have knocked my face off. He said, let there be light, and boom, it was created. So here we're on earth. Tomorrow we're going to see the sun. Guys, that thing is 93 million miles away. Think about it, 93 million miles away. And you will see the light, and you will feel the heat-ish tomorrow as it hits us. And it's traveling, 90, it's traveling 93 million miles and the sun is so big that you can fit 1.3 million Earths inside of it. And the Bible says that God just exhales. Out of the breath of God came starry host, according to Psalm 33. God just went, Pah, and the sun popped out. Guys, we exhale, people back up, going, "What is that?" And God's like, Pah, "There's the sun." The biggest one they found is called Canis Majoris. You know what that literally means? They mean it means the big dog. That's the big dog star. And I don't even know who these people are. Just brilliant. Doing. That's the big dog star. You can fit seven quadrillion Earths inside the one star, and God just breathes it out. I don't, I don't understand seven quadrillion. I think it's the national debt. But I don't know how, like, I don't know how big that is because I don't understand that concept. Guys, our Milky Way galaxy is so massive that if you go from one end to the other... It'll take you 120,000 light years. That means if you go 186,000 miles per second for 120,000 years, you'll get from one end to the other. And our Milky Way galaxy has some 300, 350 billion stars just in our Milky Way galaxy. And our Milky Way galaxy is one of about 300, 350 billion, if not more, galaxies in the known universe. All of them having the same amount of stars, give or take. And God just said, let there be the Bible says that God measures the universe with the span of his hand. It's like he looks at the universe and goes, ah, it's like that big. Bless you. It's like that big. Can I ask you a question? When's the last time you told that God what to do? When these seraphim are looking at God going, holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. And we sit and go, bless you. We we sit and just go. Does he have an Instagram account? Is he worth my time? I mean, it's just Jesus. Why? Because he's not impressive to us. You say, well, Brian, this is kind of like, that's all out there. Guys, you start looking at how he creates things that are just here. Guys, you realize there are 228 distinct muscles in the head of a caterpillar. Do you realize somebody had as a job that they had to count that? Can you imagine, like, the person's leaving home? Hey, see you, babe. Big day today. <laughs> oh, is this the, is that the caterpillar head? Th- yeah. I'm counting all the muscles today. We should pray. We should pray. This will be a big day. Person gets to his desk. Bring the caterpillar. <laughs> bring it. Bring it. Puts it there. <laughs> gets the microscope. Someone starts to talk. Shut up. Out, this is my time, out, big deal. Oh my gosh, everyone's just watching from glass behind. This is the day, this is the day. Puts his eyes in the microscope, starts counting. One, two, all of a sudden people are like, oh, shh, don't say anything. He's to 221, it's like, oh my gosh, 221. 222, and then someone opens the door and knocks him. One, you guys, can you imagine that job? 220, <laughs> 228 distinct separate muscles in the head of a caterpillar. And do you even know how butterflies formed? All I got was this when I was listening to it. The cocoon, <laughs> caterpillar goes inside, turns into goo. Goo. Like nothing. It does, it's not like uh, he's stretching out from being a caterpillar. The wings grow. Turns into goo. Nothing like a caterpillar, and then jumps out as the butterfly. And then this is the part where people go, but you know what? You know that they, <laughs> this is the part where I was like, sometimes I think you guys are full of it. They say something like, but you know it's the same thing because it keeps its memory. And I sat there going, how do you know that? Like, do you ask before, before you go into the cocoon, what's my name? Brian. Okay, remember. Butterfly, what's my name? Brian. Okay, whoa. Remember, memory. Guys, do you realize there are one million ants for every human? That's horrible. <laughs> Think of that when you go to bed. Enjoy that, <laughs> guys. Do you realize there's different? There's dozens of different types of tomatoes. I thought there was one. I thought there was one for In-N-Out. Bananas, hundreds of different types of bananas. I thought there were two, organic and non-organic. That's all that I knew. Zebras, God created a zebra. He's like, I want a horse with stripes. Do you know what? Okay, and here's the thing. Did you know that mama zebras, when they give birth to baby zebra, baby zebra comes out, mama takes baby zebra aside for a few months. Why? So that the baby zebra can memorize her stripes. Now think through it. What if she didn't do that? Gives birth, baby's out, looks around. Which one's mom? They all look the same. God made the hippo. You ever looked at a hippo and went, did you sneeze? Like, what happened in that? <laughs> Guys, do you realize that more people are mauled by hippos every year than lions? Isn't that nuts? You know why? Has anybody heard that game, Hungry, Hungry Hippo? Anybody heard that? Right? That's what we did back in the day before, apps. It's like, here, I got a game idea. We're going to put some fat hippo heads, some marbles, and just pound the crud out of them. And people go, I love hippos. They're great. I should go pet it. And then they go, wham, and then they die. But hippos, God created a hippo. God created the hawk that eats the squirrel. Like, oh, I don't like that one. Guys, do you realize that there are 60 different species of eagles? I thought there was one, two. Now well, there were two. He we made 60 different species. Do you realize that the grip strength of an eagle is 10 times that of a human? Do you realize that eagles can see from two miles away? That means if if a rabbit's two miles away, just kind of sitting there going, nobody's here, I'm free. The eagle's two miles away going, there's lunch. Two miles away! And God just created all that. Guys, you realize that your body is miraculous. Guys, you realize that in your body, you have 75 trillion cells. Each one of those cells has what's called DNA. It's a strand about six feet long. Each cell has a strand of DNA, and that DNA is like a blueprint of who you are. It's like God typed out what you'd be like, and all of those DNA are the same. Guys, you realize if you took all the DNA out of each cell of your body and tied all your DNA end to end, if you did that with every single DNA strand, do you realize that that's enough DNA to go from here to the moon and back 178,000 times? And so when the Bible says that you are fearfully and wonderfully made it's true guys you have a hundred thousand miles worth of blood vessels in your body that's enough blood vessels so that's that's enough mileage to go around the earth four times your eyes see at 526 megapixels you're like well who cares think about it some of y'all get jacked up because hey the new iphone came out and it's 200 megapixel camera (gasps) what There's 14 cameras on the back now. (gasps) Oh, my gosh. (laughs) I can take pictures and make billboards now. And yet it took engineers and millions of dollars to make sure that they could create that. But for some people, they say that there is no such thing as a God, but we see it 526 megapixels. Do you see the problem with that? And God just did all of this. And Job wrote this about God. Behold, these are but the outskirts of his ways. And how small a whisper do we hear of him. But the thunder of his power, who can understand? I think there's this danger, friends. We've turned Jesus into the house cat. That we've declawed him to make him a little bit more manageable so that he exists for us. But he is holy God. He is the lion of Judah. He is not your house cat. Friends, he is holy, and he is perfect. He has no limit. There is no place anywhere in all the universe where God is not. He is outside of the universe because there is no limit to the massiveness and size of God. He's perfect, but friends, he's good. You look at the greatness, but you realize, guys, you you have taste buds because God is good any taste buds you know how good it is to taste food you ever just chomp down on chick-fil-a and said thank you god you pour the, the <laughs> you pour the chick-fil-a sauce not on a Sunday, but all the rest of the other days you pour that out going this is flowing in heaven <laughs> or an in-n-out burger and you chew on the on the cheese paper don't judge me but you know what i'm talking about it's like you just taste it going yes and god's going there, going, i created taste buds so that you could have that God created laughter and humor. Guys, you ever laughed so hard you thought your stomach was going to explode? Isn't that such a grateful, great, I mean, a great painful experience? It just feels like something trying to get out. It's like, oh, my gosh, this is so fantastic. But it's like, oh, my gosh. And if you ever said this, ladies, if you're, if you're in mixed company, and guys there, and you're just laughing like crazy. And ladies, if any of you ever say this, okay, stop, stop. If you don't stop, I'm going to pee my pants. I promise you this, every guy that hears that goes, challenge accepted. (laughs) Gentlemen, if I'm saying the truth, just say amen. That's what I'm talking about. (laughs) Ladies, you've been warned. You've been warned. If you ever say that and you pee before you leave here, it's on you. Literally. Okay, so (laughs) (laughs) I've never said that before. That fit perfect. God created laughter. He created different types of laughter. We don't all have the same laughter. Different Guys, every person has a different fingerprint. God is so creative and wonderful and beautiful and terrifying and holy and loving and gracious. And he has wrath and he judges sin because he loves us. He says, that doesn't make any sense. But for those who've been oppressed, they want to know that God loves them. They want to see justice. God loves them enough to judge. He loves us. Friends, he will judge sin. And we're all sinners. You can sit there and go, I'm not that bad. Friends, Hitler's not the gauge. Jesus is the gauge. The Bible says that all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. No one is good. No one is righteous, not one. Even Jesus himself said that. When a rich, a, a little young, a young guy comes up and says, Hey, good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus says, Why do you call me good? No one's good except God. And he's asking the question, but he's saying, There's no human being on the planet who's good. We have a good God. How do I know? Remember how I described the Ninevites? Remember how I described the people in Nineveh? And God made sure, I want to tell my prophet, Jonah, I want you to go to them, and I want you to call them to repent. To repent means to change directions. It's not a word that's used a whole lot today, and it should, because that's what actually Jesus came and preached as, when he said, repent and believe, for the kingdom of God is at hand. Turn away from sin, so it's to make a U-turn. Go away from and come toward. He says, I want you to go to those people. I know how evil they are. All the things that they've done has come up to me. But I want you to go and I want you to preach a message of repentance. How do I know that God is good? That he desires relationship with humanity. Because he would even call those who were in Nineveh, who were brutal, to repentance. Friends, he's calling you the same. So as I, as I close this in prayer, I guess here's the thing I'm hoping for. I remember when I heard all those statistics I was like, I don't know how to talk to a God that's like that. And honestly, guys, it was the best thing that happened to me. I'm so glad that whoever preached that, I was like, thank you, God. Because I want you to be big. I want to see you as big, not someone that I'm used to. I want to see you as someone who's worthy of worship and giving my life for. I wonder for some of you, if you've just gotten used to him. And I don't want you to get used to him. So here's my challenge for you as i pray actually before well now as i pray if you'll give god the weekend wherever you're at whether you can't stand him or you love him like crazy and everything in between okay i'll give god a weekend just to see what he does but you engage in chapel you engage in your in your small groups in your cabins you engage in it because you're trying to figure out this whole thing with god if you'll give god a week when i begin to pray if you'll just sit there and then take your hands and open them up on your lap. Does that make sense? Not stand up, just gonna open up your hands on your lap to saying, okay, hey God, I'll give, you a, I'll give you the weekend. You gotta do something. Please meet me. I'll give you the weekend, do something. And this is for everyone in the room. This isn't just students, this is all of us. If that's you, when I s- start to pray, God, I'll give you the weekend. Please do something in my life. I just want to put your hands down on your lap, just like that, and when I begin to pray. Cool? Let me pray. Father, I wanna thank you it sounds so weird. I want to thank you that you are a God who sent Jonah to go to Nineveh to preach repentance to people that were so evil. And I want to thank you that you went after Jonah. You even set up this massive storm. You continued after Jonah who was just as rebellious away from you, trying to get away from your presence. And God, I guarantee that all of us fit somewhere in between those. God, I pray that you would work, all of us who have our hands in our laps, God, do something this weekend that leaves us changed, that we might become the person that you desire for us to be. And God, as you do, to you be all the praise, all the glory, and all the honor for you alone are worthy. We pray this in Jesus' name, and everyone who agrees says, amen. Love you more than you know.